Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their businesses and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage and sustainable organizations. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. I am delighted that Mike Morrow Fox is joining us today. Mike has his MBA. He has over 30 years of experience leading technology organizations and human resource operations for healthcare, education, banking, and nonprofits, as well as several years of university teaching. His bachelor's degree focuses on industrial psychology and employee counseling, and his MBA focuses on organizational leadership. He is currently completing a doctorate in educational leadership. He's a contributor to several of the books in the award-winning book series, Innovative Leadership, and he is a respected member of the Metcalf & Associates team and someone I adore working with. So one of the things I like most about Mike is he's heavily grounded in theory and research, and he has 20 years of experience in leadership roles. So he brings both a strong grounding in theory and practical application so that we can actually implement the stuff he recommends. And we do. So so this show, my focus is really that as the rate of change accelerates, we as leaders often struggle to keep pace with what's going on. And many of these trends have not yet impacted us, but we need to at least be aware of them. So my goal in bringing, inviting several of the leaders is that we are exposed to a broad range of topics. Some of them will impact you immediately and some on the horizon and some you just need to be aware of. And so I hope that our conversations are practical and that from each one, you can take something that is immediately applicable either in your professional life or in your personal life. So in this segment specifically, we're talking extensively about leadership skills required to handle the increasingly complex challenges that we face, interconnected workplaces, global challenges. And one of the key questions for companies who believe that they need to develop leaders to remain competitive is what's required beyond what we're already doing. So many organizations already have leadership programs. Are they enough and are they the right ones and are they delivering what you're looking for? So we're going to explore the ideas of horizontal development and vertical development, and we'll define those in the conversation, and how they're required to build the mindset and competencies. So we have how we think about what we do and how we actually carry that out, required to navigate the complexity and create thriving enterprises for the long term. So moving away from we're going to do a transformation and then we'll be set for a while to what are the ongoing transformations that have to be sustained and how do we then help employees navigate that level of ongoing change in what seems like will be forever. 
So, Mike, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Let's talk about, let's start with, because we talked about it in the introduction, this idea of horizontal development and vertical development. What is that? That's It's a great topic, and it's nice because I know your focus is on sustainability and how we deal with some of the future items. And this is one of the issues that your audience is struggling with today, mm-hmm. and they're going to be struggling with in 2050 and 2070 as well. So we're, we're not going to get done with it and <laughs> no. check that off the list. <laughs> no. and, and I think as your audience listens, you'll have a lot of head nods for people who are saying that's one of my key issues today. So mm-hmm. when you talk about horizontal and vertical development, we don't often use those terms. But horizontal development is learning new skills and competencies, especially when we talk about it for leadership. So we're talking about folks that are trying to develop that next level to come up and horizontal development, development across what they're already doing, mm-hmm. are an increase in those skills and competencies. And some examples would be getting someone trained in project management. Mm-hmm. I'm doing projects and now I'm up at a higher level and I got to figure out schedules and resources and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Or uh, situational management. When I didn't have as many direct reports or when they weren't as sophisticated, I didn't have to worry about that. And even some of the soft skills like critical discussions, those all fall into the bailiwick of horizontal development they're the stuff that I do to learn new ways of doing what mm-hmm. I already know. Make sense? Yeah, it does. And and that is where most leadership programs focus. I need to learn specific skills and competencies to perform my job. That's exactly right. And and we do a pretty good job right now. Mm-hmm. And we need, uh, obviously, we need horizontal to. development. we got a lot of young, talented people who need to get tools and techniques and that's terrific. And some older talented people. <laughs> <laughs> I have not stopped needing tools and techniques. <laughs> that's, it's, that's very true. So, so that's a good point that this can be a lifelong piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, horizontal development is great. The problem is we're doing it at the expense of not doing very much in vertical development. So define vertical. And this is the one that we don't know so much about and do it accidentally more than purposefully. Yeah, vertical development is changing the way I view things and changing my assumptions. So it's changing the way I might view the organization or the way I might view the industry or the way I might value things. So if you think about it, it's that type of situation that a manager might want to get one of their direct reports who's uh, moving into leadership to be thinking differently. Rather Mm -hmm. than uh, doing the project and figuring out just the work breakdown structure, in terms of vertical development, I'd start to ask, is the project really necessary? Or is the project going in a direction that's meeting the mission of the organization? Or should I be studying something else uh, altogether because the industry is changing? So compared to, am I meeting my milestones? Mm -hmm. And one of the interventions that's very effective for that specific leap is an MBA. That's correct. That can be terrific both for vertical and horizontal development. Mm -hmm. It depends, though. Unfortunately, what we're seeing in a lot of the MBA programs is that they're starting to miss the vertical pieces. The milestones that are needed, which we'll talk about for Mm -hmm. vertical development, aren't necessarily in there. And we'll talk a little bit Mm -hmm. about that Mm -hmm. and what organizations can do. Cool. So why do we care? Well, you know, it's... Do we care? Yeah. Do we care? (laughs) I think your listeners care a lot. And I've noticed that when I used to do organizational development as an operations manager, I cared a lot. And I'll tell you why. 
there's two things that are very specifically necessary for vertical development. Mm -hmm. The first one is you have to realize that your organization has a culture mm -hmm. and that culture is like a stream and most people will float down the boat in that stream. Mm -hmm. So wherever that stream is going, that's where most people go. And there's great research on it, like Ash's research on groupthink, mm -hmm. which has just been looked at under MRIs, and we realize that people who are involved in groupthink don't just go along, but actually start to believe what the group believes. You can take a look at uh, the research of Milgram and obedience and the fact that if somebody in a powerful position says, do something, we have a natural inclination at all levels of the organization just to do it. And again, your listeners might be thinking about people who are doing things right now that mm. they were told to do but don't seem to be the best for the organization but we're just following what the leader might have said to do. Well, I'm part of that self-preservation, right? I want to keep my job. And my boss says to do this and it's not illegal so I can fight him or him or her or I can just shut up and get it done. It's both self-preservation and, and human. Okay. We don't have really big teeth. We don't have really strong nails. And so we got to band together. And as primates, all the research ends up pointing to the fact that we're going to go along with the group. Because it keeps us alive. That's exactly right. The problem is, what if your culture isn't innovative? What if your culture isn't collaborative? Yeah, I can think of some <laughs> companies that we might label those. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> we won't do that on air. <laughs> so what you want is you want to have somebody or some group of people with that mm. compass being able to point the culture to be collaborative, mm -hmm. to be innovative, to, be, to have high values. Well, and most organizations, I think, espouse those things. And so I'm assuming that they intend to do them. I'll assume positive intent on that and are doing the best they can and may miss the mark because they don't know how to do it better. Partly I think it's techniques and partly I think that there may be a, a well intention there. But the second point of this is, is that you need leaders that are at a higher developmental level. Okay, so I know exactly what that means because <laughs> this is the stuff I love. But for listeners who don't know the term developmental level, higher or later, what, what is a later stage, also known as more mature? Yeah. Not yeah. older. <laughs> a lot of your listeners will remember back in their early school days or early college days that there's a certain level of maturity that children have over time mm -hmm. and it increases as they get older and that still happens to leaders and to adults we hope uh, well it it's it does it, it may not yeah that's true it may not manifest itself in higher level maturity thinking but we continue to mature over the lifetime well and i i say in jest yeah, we yeah. can look at leaders at different chronological ages and some have matured continued to mature from a leadership development lens very quickly and others kind of hit steady state and they top out. That's a great point. And we can all think of people who have hit a level and then never moved past that level, unfortunately. That's why the vertical development programs end up being so important is to kind of prompt and move people past those levels. And I do want to make a point here because it sounds like you're only good if you develop. And yet we, we believe that you slot people into roles that match your level of development. So if you top out at 25, that's great. You're going to be productive the rest of your career, but you you would not be appropriately slated to take on continually imp increasing levels of complexity. You're probably at, you'll, you'll move forward much more slowly. 
I think that's very fair. And if we apply it to, to the horizontal learning we're doing, you can teach someone project management, but the way they end up executing it really has to do with their developmental level. So when you think of developmental level, think about people who are day-to-day, which mm-hmm. is the lower developmental maturity for leaders versus strategic. Think about people who are innovative because they're curious and open versus those folks that are just checking things off of a list. Mm-hmm. Curious and open is a later stage developmental maturity. People who are more inclusive and able to reach a broader audience. I hear quite often now from managers that I talk to how they're struggling at their age to to really include and excite millennials. Mm -hmm. At later developmental levels, I just have a natural instinct for how I do that. And you can all think of the the 60-year-old who just does great with nurturing the 22-year-olds in the organization. That's someone who's at a higher level of developmental maturity. And collaboration. Innate collaboration happens at the later developmental levels. Being inspirational happens at the later developmental levels. And that seems like something all of us aspire to be. Even if we're introverts, we can still be inspirational. Absolutely. Absolutely. The challenge is, is that we can all think of folks that aspire to be collaborative and inspirational and spend all their time being protective <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and dictatorial. That's exactly yeah. right. And it really is the developmental maturity that allows them to execute that or not. So what happens is that we'll get someone into the horizontal course of project management, but mm-hmm. the way they manage the project will really be determined by their developmental level. So I'm thinking of one of the other pieces that strikes me is level of comfort with ambiguity. So if I'm a project manager, when things go off the rails, which they seem to always do, slightly or majorly, the later stage project manager is able to regroup find a different course, and that could actually be fun. For the earlier stage or lower level project manager, this is going to be sky is falling. Very different orientation toward challenge. That's exactly right. And for people who aren't familiar with it, what you have to be thinking of is complexity is easier and more achievable as I increase my developmental maturity. Uh, Defensiveness is significantly less as I increase my developmental maturity and a strategy is significantly more as I increase my developmental maturity. So if I've got a manager or a, a vice president or a director that I'm trying to develop and I'm thinking, gee, they're getting the technical stuff, but what I really need is for them to be more strategic or more able to keep mm-hmm. up with the complex stuff or more open-minded, then that's what I end up getting into is I need to put in that vertical component in order for those things to seat. And often what we do is send them to a strategy class that teaches them the techniques of building a strategy, not the mindset of long-term thinking. That's correct. And that nuance is huge. It is because, again, they'll execute the strategy according to their developmental level. So you can execute strategy in a very non-strategic way, right? (laughs) Be very tactical about strategy, unfortunately. Can you give an example of that? Because we're both laughing. We both have something in mind. Well, I've been to strategy sessions where the agenda and the time boxing of the agenda was significantly more important than the input and discussion. Mm -hmm. That's not strategic. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I facilitated one of those, and the client was quite distressed that... I went out of the bounds of the timeline. 
that's what we do because you can't always manage predict down to the minute what conversations need to happen to develop something that's going to guide your organization for five or 10 or 15 years. And when I'm at a lower developmental level, I need that structure. Uh, and I believe mm -hmm. that that structure is a rule and that rule needs to be followed. So as I am at the lower developmental levels, the agenda is the law. And then I'm a terrible facilitator because <laughs> I go for content, not, <laughs> not the agenda. But that also illustrates a point that I think is really important, that we match most effectively with people at a level of maturity similar to ours. There is absolutely a place in meeting management for sticking to the agenda. It just happens that when the meeting is the, developing the strategic plan, the agenda may be less important than the outcome of critical conversation on on key points. Yeah, and I know, for example, I think of with presidents, I was in a meeting with a group of presidents that was mm -hmm. facilitated by a COO, and it was to make a decision on a purchase that would affect all of the presidents in the room. Mm -hmm. And there was discussion for about a five-minute period, and the finance folks had some ideas as well, and all of a sudden the time ran out, but there wasn't a consensus. And so the COO said, thanks very much, but we have to move on to the next item. And this was like building a new hospital or something, right? Well, this was a bit, I won't say what it was, but, but I will Something large in magnitude. I, I will say that it had uh, seven zeros associated with it. <laughs> and the, the outcome of the meeting actually had a, a seven zero impact because we had to make a purchase for one organization mm -hmm. rather than for the entire organization and lost significant dollars. And it was all on the heels of that meeting and the fact that the COO wanted to pay attention to the agenda. And your listeners may be thinking, well, maybe that's what it looked like. Maybe it wasn't the agenda. Maybe he just wanted, no, it was the agenda. <laughs> <laughs> you were one of those guys in the room that knew what was going on. Yeah. Uh, Fortunately, uh, you weren't the COO. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, but strategically, he, he just never did get strategy. He mm -hmm. always did strategy tactically. And that's where he was at developmentally. And when I met with him and, and worked on projects, I understood that he was going to do strategy tactically, if that makes sense. So when we come back from break, it would be interesting to talk about how do we navigate when we're managing across the organization or even up and working with people that we can see where the gap is. Not to diminish that he may have been a fabulous COO, he just shouldn't have been facilitating strategy. Well, and probably you got to be strategic if you're going to be a good COO. So. <laughs> Again, trying to see yeah. the best in people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll be right back from break. This is Maureen Metcalf and Mike Morafox talking about vertical development, why it matters, and how to do it. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, 
transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. So welcome back. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, Maureen Metcalf and Mike Morafox. And before break, we were talking about how do you navigate working with people who are at different developmental levels. And it's certainly easier for the leader who is working with folks who are less mature, because we expect that. When you're working with a boss who's less mature, that's a little more complicated. Yeah, the challenge is is that at the later developmental levels, I have a greater skill set to deal with all levels, mm-hmm. right? I'm good with maturity, I'm good with strategy, and I'm more open. So I've got a skill set. As I'm at the lower levels, if I am, then it's harder for me to unlock the code for all sorts of levels and be inclusive like that. And frustrating. Well, very frustrating. And I think one of the most frustrating things, and you could certainly do a show on that, is how difficult it is to be at a higher level than your boss. <laughs> yeah, we probably won't do that show. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but <it's, laughs> Those are private coaching sessions. <laughs> but, and that's true. But it's one of the reasons why it's so important for organizations to have these vertical programs mm-hmm. across because you do have somebody who's really talented in the organization and they're... They're wanting to leave because their boss is less mm-hmm. mature than they are and missing beats all over the place. And the organization really suffers as a result of that. Well, and the other thing, and you pointed to it, but we often promote people who are competent tactically. And if we don't place value on this idea of vertical development, we don't even know that we're picking the wrong person. And we don't often recognize the damage they're doing. Because that's not, when I look at best, vertical isn't part of it, so I'm not assessing for it. Yeah, that's a real challenge for those folks that are good technically. And uh, and I hear this all the time about the strengths of the individual being technically good. So mm-hmm. you're talking about the salesperson who can close sales well but can't work with the rest of the organization or can't get on board strategically to the next level that we need them to be. When I'm thinking of some CIOs, because we're doing CIO leadership work right now, and because you have a C in front of your title, it doesn't make you strategic. That's been my experience. Unfortunately, it makes it very difficult for the organization. And yet some are incredibly strategic. Absolutely. 
So let's shift to the idea of the Leader 2050 work that we've done, and some of our listeners have heard the description of that. How does that relate to vertical development? It relates significantly because what we're experiencing now seems to be all accounts of the future are that it's going to be more. So if you think of the complexity we're dealing with today and how complex and quickly changing Mm -hmm. the environment Mm -hmm. is, it's going to be even faster going forward. And I think people are really getting a glimpse in that. You know, we're starting to think about what are we going to do when everything is self-driving and everything is self-service and how do we run companies in, in that way? And well, what do we do when people live to be 120? <laughs> and we think millennials are tough. Imagine being 100 years old and working with millennials. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Imagine being the HR manager, having to deal with the different perspectives when you've got people who are literally 80 years or more different. The way we see the world is going to be massively different. And you may have someone 30 years old as the boss of someone who's 100. But there's good news. I can tell you there's very good news. (laughs) There is. Because, uh, yeah, the research, not only the research, but just think about your, your organization or the organizations you're working with. For the majority of the people there, they're going to float in the boat down the river of the company's culture. Okay. So if you can have some developmentally mature people in leadership positions forming a culture of learning and collaboration Mm -hmm. and uh, open discussion and creative conflict and trust and all those things that we see good companies being able to do, the innovation and the ability to deal with that complexity, then your whole company is able to, to really leverage what they're doing and move forward. In a more complex environment, when you have a company culture that is set up for dealing with complexity like the learning organizations, mm-hmm. even lower developmental maturity, they do well. So I want to point to another interview for people who are interested in that specific topic. We talked to Terry O'Fallon and Jeff Fitch about developmental maturity and it hasn't aired yet. So look for the interview coming up with Terry and Jeff. And they talk specifically about what is it to be a level five company, if we use those terms, or TL developmentally. How do we create a culture that supports that learning and development and promotes maturity by its very structure? I I think another piece of this too, and it's good to get that piece in from that uh, particular, I think that's gonna be a great discussion knowing the the people that you're talking about Mm -hmm. and having read some of their work. One of the things I think we'll need to be able to do as, as organizational leaders to create that culture as well is to have the level of openness to be able to grieve quickly because things are going to change so much, it's going to be very, very difficult for people. So as my job changes, I can think of a company that I was just dealing with that the finance organization had to figure out how to blend their piece into the larger organization, meaning that they were actually shrinking their span of control and shrinking their jobs and making a number of, of changes in their world that are difficult. And those people at higher developmental levels are open to that. They can see the possibilities and figure out where they can add value in other ways and get on with life. Mm-hmm. That's and gonna the, be more and more. And the job title isn't as much of who I am in the world. It's just what I'm doing right now. Yeah, if you're an innovative person, if you're a strategic person, then you figure out ways to add value and adapt pretty quickly and help the people around you Mm -hmm. innovate and adapt. And again, I think that's one of the hallmarks of 
these more successfully sustainable companies is how do how do we innovate the products and services but also how do we innovate who we are internally so we can continue that kind of machine of innovation it's not only products and services but our humans have to innovate how they do things and who they are to keep pace with the rate of change and you if you have a comfortable leader at the front the whole group gets comfortable and if you have a combative leader at the front the whole group gets combative and I'm going to use such a simplistic analogy. We're having this complex discussion, and I go to dog training. <laughs> <laughs> so I just got a new dog that's a pit bull, uh, which I wouldn't have ever imagined I would have a pit bull because I had a chihuahua last. <laughs> My daughter has a pit bull that I love to death. I, I do too. And what I learned is when I first got her, I was really concerned that she would snap at someone or something and be put down big fear. So I walked around as a little stress ball and my dog was Nuji. Now I have learned that this dog is pretty darn good even when attacked by some neighbor's dog that's feeble. <laughs> so the, the dog just looks at it like, really? And so my relaxing allowed the, the dog to relax, not that our staff are functioning at the same level as my dog, but that as leaders it's contagious our moods and energy and if I'm panicked all the time people around or just anxious if I'm anxious the people around me who look to me as a role model are wondering what's wrong and they pick it up you know and it make you've reminded me too that when I've I've had some really good leaders that I've worked with mm -hmm. and I can think of very tense difficult meetings where there were decisions about spending more money or making a change or a variety of things that that were really difficult things to deal with and mm -hmm. being in a whole room full of people and the fact that they kept a good sense of humor and mm -hmm. stayed calm and kept us focused on what the important parts of mm -hmm. the decision were changed the entire group and when you have the opposite happening when you have somebody yelling or raising the heat or raising the pressure not only is that meeting a mess but the meetings after the meeting and everything else that flows is a mess. And when we look at creating vibrant organizations, that's one of the points is I have a strong relationship with my peers, even if we're having a very complex and heated disagreement, I know that we're okay. And you and I work together and we've had some differences of opinion. And I always trusted that we would navigate through it, that you weren't just going to dump me because I didn't like your point of view. Yeah, I, I love it's older, but uh, a lot of folks can relate to that Lencioni tri triangle, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where if you have trust at the bottom, and trust can come from having somebody in the room who's who's comfortable and who knows I'm mm -hmm. going to help everybody figure this out then you're you have uh, a comfort for creative conflict if you have comfort for creative conflict and that comes out and gets resolved then you have people have buy-in if you have buy-in then you get accountability and if you get accountability then you end up with re results and that's the Lencioni model and it really rings true but how do you get that trust at the bottom of the triangle you don't get it from leaders yeah, right. who are at you know, <laughs> lower developmental levels. You're going to trust me, damn it. <laughs> yeah, you don't get it through orders, and you don't get it through inconsistent behavior. You don't get it by telling people what the rules are. You have to get it through being able to be first trusting myself and understanding that I can deal with the complexity and looking at the larger pictures and really having that advanced developmental maturity. 
and then I can spread it to the rest of the room. And, and if people leave this conversation with nothing else, one of the things that they really want to think about, because there's just so much good stuff on it is, is that my company's culture is like a stream. And I can, if my culture is that we're, we're uh, disruptive and defensive, then you'll find even the best people will have disruptive and defensive behaviors. If you, if this, uh, if this is the most interesting thing about uh, organizational theory. If you want to know the uh, productivity of your group or the, uh, the level at which a group will perform, you go to the lowest functioning member. Their score mm -hmm. will correlate with the entire group 95%. We did a show on lowest common denominator. <laughs> and it included developmental theory, but also looked at several other things. And yeah, how do you increase the productivity quickly? Attend to developmental level. Yeah. Not that people develop quickly, but you can redistribute roles. Change your mix. Get the mm -hmm. lowest out and have the, the highest leading the room. Absolutely. So let's shift and then we'll do the same thing after break. Can you explain more about, we've talked about why I want to have a team of people developed and some of the dynamics. How do I get there? How do you get there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how we get there is, <laughs> is there is actually really good research and hopefully uh, an HROD function will have this in the bag, but it's mm -hmm. good for people to know the processes on transformational learning. And we're going to talk about a few different recommendations for transformational learning, which then increase developmental maturity within an organization. So uh, Jack Mesro did some research a, a while back and he came up with 10 phases of transformational learning. I'll boil them down to three. But this is why it's so difficult for this to occur in organizations because the first phase is disorientation. So a disorienting dilemma would be the term we've often heard. That's correct. So, so how do you disorient people? Put them in blindfolds and walk around the room? <laughs> well, you put them in, one of the ways, so for example, would be that you put them in a heat experience, as, as mm -hmm. Petrie calls it. Yeah. And a heat experience means you put them in a job where they're, they're not exactly sure of their skill set and they got to use a whole nother skill set. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, not only do they have horizontal learning, and a number of companies use these heat experiences, they give me a project that is just a little bit of a stretch for me to be mm -hmm. able to do. But in addition to that, I have a disoriented dilemma because I can't order people. I'm not sure exactly what to order them. I've got to figure out how to collaborate. And they may not work for me. That's exactly right. So I've gotten to be, I've got someone who's disoriented at that point. But a larger existential disorientation for a longer period is really what's necessary for that. Because the next step after I'm disoriented is I have to be able to do the right introspection. If I'm disoriented and then get defensive, this is stupid, those people are stupid, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, don't, I don't change. So I need to have the infrastructure there to be able to introspect as the next level. And then make new meaning out of it. That's correct. I see the world differently. So let's talk about, let's use an example here. I've always felt that uh, I'm, a, I'm a new uh, director and I've got someone who really admires me as a director and comes up and comes out and says, you know, I'm gay and I'd, I'd really like you to meet my partner and I've, I'm just feeling comfortable to be able to tell you this. And my disoriented dilemma is I've always thought that gay was wrong and if I say, oh, I'd love to meet your partner and, and that would be great, I feel like, well, I'm giving tacit approval to gayness and that's terrible. I've now got a disoriented dilemma and it's a workplace dilemma because I'm a... It's leader. no longer just a... That's right. Home 
So the first piece of that is I've got to introspect and figure out what to do. How do I keep this person motivated in the workplace and feeling dignified and feeling cared for mm -hmm. and at the same time not feel like I'm doing something that is unfair to my conscience and, and maybe even incorrect. The output of that then is the third stage is integration where I realize that I don't want to encourage gay behavior if I think that it's encourageable. <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody but at the same time I need to be able to work with people who are gay and give them their own dignity and so I start to figure out how I integrate that and the process that I go through where I go from disorientation mm -hmm. to introspection to integration actually changes me as an individual and it changes the way that I deal with that mm -hmm. and a lot of other things tend to change so that I can increase the way that I look at mm -hmm. the world in a variety of perspectives. And having worked as an advocate in a gay rights organization, we really wanted people to go through that kind of development to be able to accept their colleagues who are diverse in, on that axis, just like we would on religious axes or gender. Or we need each other. We need, uh, we need everybody. So we've got to figure out how do I do this? How do I work with you and engage you and be collaborative with you and mm -hmm. respect you and help you feel good about the workplace and help the organization move forward regardless of, of all the pieces of you? And I think that's a really, it, the example was really helpful because many of us face dilemmas, workplace dilemmas that force us to rethink and reevaluate I like this person and yet there's something that I just learned that wasn't visible on the surface when I when they walked in the door they're, they're not green or have antennas or something and the internal struggle can be mighty in some cases it certainly is and in the case that we talked about there the internal struggle was how does the person stay true to their values and at the same time mm -hmm. give dignity and work effectively with the person in the workplace I'm just I'm imagining that struggle myself and where someone may actually shift values and yet that ripples through other parts of their lives as well. And so this disorientation continues as I, as I start to rethink one thing, I start to rethink other things because that's connected to my church and my church family and my community and who I hang out with and it gets sticky. And it's also a set of vertical skills that come up because if I can effectively negotiate this, then I can effectively negotiate that. I can use mm -hmm. some of the skills that I used in that situation with maybe another situation. So on that note, that, that I'm rethinking my entire life based on hanging out with Mike, um, <laughs> on vertical development, it, it is one of the challenges that it does ripple through. And so... It's also one of the reasons many people don't go there. So on that note, we're going to take a break. This is Maureen Metcalf and Mike Morrow-Fox talking about vertical development. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This is segment three. We're talking to Maureen Metcalf and Mike Mora Fox about the idea of vertical development. So for those of you who know Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, he talks about level five leadership. And the idea of vertical development is really going from the earlier stages, leaders at stages two or three, up to level five, roughly. It's not exactly that, but roughly that. How do we do it? And so Mike's talked about this disorienting dilemmas and then what are the next two phases the next two phases are an introspection phase and that's where it's really important to have the right coaching around you Mm -hmm. whether that coaching is the setup of a group facilitation or an individual coach Mm -hmm. or but you need to be able to process things in such a way so that you don't leave more defended than when you came in so in expanding my capacity right And then the third one is? The third one is integration. Okay. The third one is all of a sudden it gets comfortable. It gets to be a part of who I am. I wasn't innately uh, collaborative with a group of people, and all of a sudden I've thought it through and picked up some things, and before I know it, I'm all of a sudden collaborating, and I don't even have to think about it. It's unconscious competence. And one of the things to point out to listeners, this isn't a week-long class to move up, up developmental levels or to expand our capacity the difference with horizontal learning is I can go to a class and be better when I walk out the door of I know how to use Outlook better or I'm a better project manager. When I'm really rethinking who I am and how I make sense of the world, it's a bit longer process. Although I may go to a workshop where I'm required to do something that's difficult, that throws me into the disorienting dilemma. But if I leave and have no support, I'm going to be disoriented. I may (laughs) 
I may not get the value of development that the company is hoping to get. So let's talk a little bit about how do we do this in a corporate setting because it's it's not a one and done and it's not cheap and it's not quick. And so for companies who want quick measurable outcomes, I'm going to send Mike and Maureen off to project management school and you're going to get a certification and you're going to be a project manager. This is not that. Well, yes, but let me also present the flip side in terms of one of the things that's really not cheap and not quick is turning over your executive team. Or not turning <laughs> them over if they're the wrong team. Yeah. <laughs> so if you really want an executive team that functions at the highest levels, that brings that level of calmness, complexity, and strategy to your organization, and you can think of those people who is, and you can think of those people who ain't, <laughs> you know, as you're listening to this. Um, and you know them when you see them. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And and they can be at the highest levels of the organization and you can have nobody at the highest levels who have the developmental skills or you can have just a great team either way. But that's what's really expensive. So investing in a program that's going to take 18 months each cycle for some of your most talented people or people who have your highest potential is probably a really good investment. That starts to sound cheap. Yeah, absolutely. It's significantly cheaper than executive recruiting, and it's significantly cheaper than having projects fail, right? And ultimately, in some cases, bankruptcy. Absolutely. Organizations not thriving, just kind of stalled. Which we've actually both consulted with. (laughs) We didn't cause the stalling, by the way. But helped. One of the methods I love, and, and, and Petrie, who, who has really done some nice stuff at pulling together a lot of the literature, so we talked about heat experiences, getting somebody in a situation that's over their head, but then giving them the, the type of coaching mm-hmm. infrastructure so that they can make sense of it and move what they're working on forward. A second piece that he talks about is something that he calls colliding perspectives. It reminds me a lot of Gordon Allpart's work. And it requires the right facilitation around it. But when you do that, you get people who have different ideas of how to get things done. Mm -hmm. And you facilitate them all to then bring that to the fore. And then you have this discussion where there are dramatically different perspectives and dramatically different people in different levels. And they have to figure out how to interact with each other. And again, that elevated sense-making piece is, uh, I, I mean, the colliding perspectives piece is a piece where if it is facilitated properly over, let's say, an 18-month period, people really start to pick up skills and really do start that process of introspection and integration that happens when the person next to them says something that they just think is wrong, and yet they're not allowed just to sit there silently. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and that's an interesting point as well, right, that this is not a spectator sport. There is a lot of introspection, but there is also engagements required. I don't develop by by watching you develop. No, and uh, frankly, for most people, unlike horizontal education, uh, vertical development is very uncomfortable. Again, I brought up the issue of, of the gay individual and the, the boss who's who's got a, a strong feeling one way because that's a very uncomfortable process for the boss mm-hmm. in particular. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's worthwhile to point out, too, that I'm a very strong advocate of gay rights. Thank but you I, for saying that. So this isn't an anti-gay point. It's a no, but, learning point. But, but the learning point is I have an empathy for and I can work with people who believe that by uh, working well with gay people that they're somehow 
advocating for a gay lifestyle, and I can respect them while I know that 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 is not the the most helpful attitude to have, and it's certainly not one that I have. Mm-hmm. I can still work with those individuals and figure out how to work with them and help them feel respected as they go on their journey with a different set of attitudes. Mm-hmm. And that initial process wasn't comfortable for me. <laughs> and, and I know some of your earlier work and people you've worked with, and you've worked with some of the most difficult of offenders and treated them respectfully. And that had to be, I know your values, and that wouldn't have been who I think you would have picked as your next door neighbor, as an example. Yeah, and, and I, I know you're reflecting back to the time when I counseled. Yeah. Way back when, uh, mm-hmm. in, in a whole other career before the NBA. And, and I had a lot of folks that, that were engaged in behaviors that were illegal, immoral, and and, mm-hmm. uh, um, and yet at the same time, I could see the, the value that they bring beyond human the... human beings. That's exactly right. And, and that comes with... with having been in enough disorienting dilemmas and getting enough help with introspection that I could then integrate it into being comfortable at that level. I was going to ask, because we haven't ever talked about this, and I realize we're on air, that that must have taken a lot of personal work to work with people who've done things illegal, big illegal, not sell pot, and choose to, to help them heal. Because most of us would say somebody should do that, but it's not me. I, and I know a lot of people who wouldn't have taken my client load. Mm-hmm. So I was very, very fortunate early on to have people work me through that disorienting dilemma because mm-hmm. it was it, it was initially very challenging. And I, I can really empathize with the people who have noble values in terms of, of me saying, I don't really, you know... <laughs> I don't really want to treat somebody with great dignity who's treated so many other people with such little dignity, and yet I've gotten past that, and I can see where they have value, and, and I've, I've formed, as a counselor, some really meaningful relationships and some meaning, really meaningful successes for people to be able to come to the other side of those behaviors. So, And that's a beautiful illustration of what happens when you work it through. Because otherwise, you couldn't have done that job. And in some cases, those people wouldn't have recovered, and they'd be incarcerated again. And presumably, those successes meant these folks became productive members of society who you would be okay living next door to. Yeah, and at least they got closer. And it reminds Mm -hmm. me of, from a corporate perspective, from an organizational perspective, the coaching, the elevated sense Mm -hmm. making, the, the action inquiry, as it's called. And that's one of the tools that has been demonstrated to help people move vertically as efficiently as anything we know of. That's correct. And it's a specific set of tools that your HROD group hopefully will know about. Mm -hmm. And you can actually put that into an organizational program. And Petrie talks about what if you had all three? He talks Mm -hmm. about how great it would be to have somebody in a heat experience and with colliding perspectives and elevated sense-making in an an action logic situation. It, It would just be, you'd see great developmental growth with folks and their ability to deal with complexity, strategy, and openness would be Mm -hmm. just incredible. So because you've referenced it, I want to give people a a reference to it. And that's the work of Suzanne Cook-Greuter and Bill Torbert on Action Inquiry. There's a book. I know that Suzanne uh, has done research about 
comparison between MBA students and folks engaged in action inquiry, and especially at the later stages, action inquiry is again, one of the most effective, if not the most effective tool to help people move. And I also want to say, having worked with Suzanne as one of her students and other developmentalists like Terry O'Fallon, their work, uh, Barrett Brown is another, their work helped inform the Innovative Leadership Field book. And in that book, we talk about what are the, the steps for people at each developmental level to move to the next because there are different interventions, many different, some similar. So what do we do in that heat experience to help people make meaning differently, very different for folks earlier in their careers or earlier along the developmental stack than later? So how would someone, any other closing recommendations? I think it's just important that people get their feet wet and really understand that there is this vertical development piece, which is a, a, a real change in the way I view things and the importance of mm-hmm. helping your team uh, get some folks at that high, at those higher levels so that the rest of the team can get pulled along. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's getting folks at the, the later stages and then building the culture that is, is almost the magnet to, to pull people up. Because if our culture is developmentally earlier, it actually impedes development. And I think that's a really critical point is the culture will drive or inhibit the the development of the people in the organization trying to succeed. So this is Maureen Metcalf, Mike Morafox, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We would love to hear from you. Either email me directly, info at metcalf-associates.com, and that will get to both Mike and myself or leave us a message on the Facebook page. So that's also Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Like us on Facebook. Leave a comment. Ask us a question. Start a conversation. And we would love to hear if there's something you learned through this conversation that you'd like to share with others. If you are doing vertical development and you have a success or something that you want to steer people toward another resource, please share it on the Facebook page. Thank you, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.